Well, happy Father's Day to all the great dads out there, and I believe all of you sitting here are wonderful dads. My dad taught me to laugh at myself, not take myself too seriously. I'm thankful. That's one of the vital lessons he taught me. How did he do that? By laughing at me. He did. I remember one family reunion. We are headed to this old park, and, and by the time we got there, you know, they were already hitting some softballs, and I was about 12 or 13 at the time, and my baseball skills, of course, were developing at a very high rate. And so I saw a softball go off into some high weeds, and without checking about, you know, the area at all, I didn't know anything. I just went after that softball in the high weeds because I wanted to show off my arm how I was going to throw that thing about, you know, 75 yards back toward home plate. Well, I went off into those weeds, and it was a complete marsh. I didn't know it. It was, it was, I didn't know. I jumped right in there, both feet. Mud went up to my thighs. And I come walking out of there, and my dad had the best laugh at me. And he just laughed. He called his relatives over and said, look at here. You know. But he taught me a very valuable lesson, not take yourself too seriously. I mean, that's, that's huge. And so he put me in the back of his truck, you know, and took me home and let me change, but not until after he laughed at me a little bit. Mark chapter 15, 21, we're going to look at one dad this morning. Mark 15, 21, the, the dad's name is Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene. The connecting verse for us this morning also will be Romans 16, 13. So Mark 15, 21, and then Romans 16, 13, and you'll be able to see Simon's family. Simon's family, okay? So, Cyrene, if you want to just think about it for a minute, Cyrene was, was on the very tip of the Mediterranean Sea, west of Egypt, but if you're looking at your Bible map and you find Jerusalem and go left, eventually, if your map is big enough, you'll find Cyrene, okay? But it's a desert area, but the Cyrenians had a part to play uh, in the life of Christ. There were bad people from Cyrene. There were good people from Cyrene. Uh, for example, in Acts 6, 9 and 10, we read about some from Cyrene who disputed with Stephen and ultimately uh, helped lead to his death, to his stoning. Okay. But also we read in Acts 11 in verse 20 of some men from Cyrene who were taking the gospel as far as over to Antioch and preaching the Lord Jesus. So it's not about where you're from or where you live. It's about what the Word of God is doing to your life. How much impact is the Word having on your life? Of course. But well, we want to focus on Simon of Cyrene. And he has a family here. And you see it in your Bible in Mark 15, uh, 21. His son's names are Rufus and Alexander. And the mom's name's not given, but her her presence is seen there in Romans 16, 13, where Paul greets different Christians in the city of Rome, the church at Rome. And he says, greet Rufus and also greet his mother, which would be Simon's wife. And she has been a mother to me as well, Paul says. So we have Simon's family here before us. And for just, uh, just briefly this morning, I want us to think about Simon's family. He had a family. He had a family. Simon of 
Cyrene. You see here in Mark 15, 21, that he is compelled to help bear the cross of Jesus, and we'll get to that. But first of all, let's notice just a few thoughts about Simon and his family. Simon and his family. Okay. First of all, Simon had a family who recognized him as, as dad. As dad. You know, used to, we wouldn't have to make that point, right? We got to make that point today, and it's right here in Scripture. He is called the father of Alexander and Rufus. Simon had a family who recognized him as the father in the family, the head of the family, the father, the dad. I don't have to tell you, but we need, do need to discuss it, that fatherless families today are a plague on our society, right here in our backyard, right here in our own nation. It is a plague. It's an overwhelming plague. Okay. It is one of the main sources of, of the family breakdown that we're seeing all around us, of societal breakdown. Yes, it impacts the church, a breakdown in the church, in the very local churches, because there are no fathers. Where are they? Where are they at? There's a website that can help in family matters. It's called American Family Association.net, AFA.net. AFA and there's a writer on there, his name is Jerry Newcomb. And he was pointing out recently about this fatherlessness in our society. And he looked into it. And he looked at different segments of society, the, the whites and, and the blacks, the Hispanics, and the American Indians and the Asians. He looked at those segments and noticed how much fatherlessness was going on in each of those segments. But then he said, when you put it together, here's how it comes out. When you put it together, he says, right here in America, right now, at least this was about the end of 2021, he says, right now, here's what we're facing. 40% of all babies being born right now are born to an unwed mother. Okay. Now, that is higher in some segments of society than in other segments of society. Okay, but when you put it together, when you combine it, 40% of babies being born right now are born to an unwed mother. But we know from our Bibles that the Bible assumes, God assumes, the presence of the father in the family. Presence of the mother. Everybody's together. Okay. And not just the presence of the father. Okay. But his impact, his participation, and his instruction. Now we can jump over to Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4, where Paul instructs fathers, And you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up. He's instructing fathers there, Ephesians 6 and verse 4. And you fathers, you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That assumes the presence of the Father, and it assumes the Father is going to be doing a lot of the leading and instructing in the family. We're very interested in this wrath idea. Okay. If Dad is in the home, then he has to work very hard to present the will of God to his children in love. 
Ephesians 4, verse 15. Preach the truth, preaching the truth in love. And we work at that, all of us do. And we try to grow in that, especially with our children, because there, there's, you have to walk a straight line there where you're not overbearingly too harsh, but you certainly don't want them to go through life and not know the truth. We can provoke our children to wrath if we never give them the truth. But then we can provoke them to wrath if we're too harsh. But notice this now. What if dad is not even in the home? What do you think that does to the psyche of a child? Why do you think we have so much anger among young folks today? Much of it. I'm not talking about young folks in in our congregation or in other congregations around us. I'm talking about out here in society, why do you think there's so much wrath and anger? We, we often are so puzzled about it. Well, because of all the, the fatherless families. Because if father is in the household doing his best, it's still possible to, to provoke your children to wrath. But if he's not there at all, of course the children are going to, to be very angry because something is so direly missing. So first of all, we just notice with Simon. Simon had a family that recognized him as dad. Now secondly, let's notice, and we'll be looking at Romans 16, 13 for this bit, but let's notice that, that Simon had a family who obeyed the gospel. They not only recognized him as dad, but he had a family who obeyed the gospel. And we put our detective hat on here and look at Romans 16, 13. Paul greets Rufus, who is one of the sons of Simon, and also greets Simon's wife there. But he, he describes Rufus for us. Okay. First he says, Rufus is in the Lord. And you know about your Bible reading and we talk about this, that being in the Lord is one of the ways that God describes one who has obeyed the gospel. One who has become a Christian is described as being in the Lord. In the Lord. We read in Ephesians 1, 3 that every spiritual blessing is in Christ, in the Lord. We read in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 10 that, that salvation is in the Lord. It's in Christ. Paul says there, I endure all things for the elect's sake that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ with eternal glory. We read in, in 1 John 5 and 11 that this eternal life that John talks so much about, that eternal life is in His Son, in the Son of God, in, in the Lord. We were studying last week in John 15 about Jesus being the true vine. And where are the branches? Where are the branches? The branches are in the Lord. And we must abide in the Lord. Rufus here in 1613 is called someone who is in the Lord. He's part of the church in Rome. And he's described as being in the Lord. We know he has obeyed the gospel. One verse here. Galatians 3.27. Galatians 3.27. In regard to obeying the gospel and putting one into Christ. Looking at Galatians 3, uh, 27, Paul simply says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. As many of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. I always like to say, look at the reverse of that verse. 
Suppose you're not baptized into Christ. So suppose you're not baptized for the remission of sins. Well, that leaves you outside of Christ and then Christ is not on you. He's not in your life. As many of you guys were baptized into Christ, did put on Christ. The reverse of that is that Christ would not be part of your life. He's not upon you and you're not in Him. Okay? He's not in you and you're not uh, in Him. So, But Rufus, under the leadership, most likely, of his father Simon and his mother, had learned to obey the gospel. Also notice there in 1613 of Romans that Rufus is called chosen in the Lord. He's chosen in the Lord. And you know this simply means that long ago, before creation, God decided that He would send Jesus, His eternal purpose, He would send Jesus to die for our sins. Okay? Uh, for example, I don't like just to say things, just to say them. You know, there are verses for this. For example, in 1 Peter 1.20, all this was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Okay? This Jesus becoming the sacrifice for sin. Peter explains that there in 1 Peter 1, 19 and 20. But Rufus is called chosen in the Lord first because God decided a long time ago that he would send Jesus to die for our sins. But also another thing God decided a long time ago. He decided what type of people would be following his son. Okay. Quickly turn with me to Ephesians 1 and verse 4. Are you there? That's, if you're not there, that's, that's not what I meant by being quick. Okay. When I say be quick, you're already there. Ephesians 1 verse 4, notice this. Right after he said every spiritual blessing is in Christ, verse 4, even as he chose us in him, Ephesians 1 4, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. See, before the foundation of the world, God decided, now that the people who would be mine would be people who would have, would, would have love and, and who would be following uh, Him. You see it here. They would be blameless before Him because they've been forgiven of their sins. They would be loving. They would be holy. Okay. These are the kind of qualities that come upon a person as they follow Jesus according uh, to His will. So Rufus here, the son of Simon, is, is described just like this, chosen in the Lord. Chosen in the Lord. So he has obeyed the gospel. This is the dad's biggest thought that he has all of his days in the family. And that is the souls of his children. The souls of his children. That's his biggest thought. That's, that drives him every day. That drives him to endure what he must endure. It is for the souls of his wife, the souls of his wife and the souls of his children. That's it. That's it. A faithful dad knows what Jesus explains in Matthew 16, 26. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? A dad knows that deep down. That's most important. That's what, drives, that's what drives him. We were studying a few weeks ago together about uh, the man Gaius in 3 John, the book of 3 John. And John writes to Gaius and he says, he says, one thing I pray about Gaius is that your soul will be prospering. And that's what it is about. In, in the family, 
in the heart of a dad that his children's souls are prospering. Prospering. Okay. That they're drawing closer and closer to God. And then there in 3 John 4, here's what John says to Gaius, and this is a perfect uh, mantra, if you will. It is a perfect uh, platform for a family, for, for mom and dad to work together. John says, I have no greater joy than to know and to hear that my children are walking in the truth. You see, that's it. That's it. That's, that is most important, and that's what drives moms, moms and dads to do all they can for their children, because that's, that's the main thing. There's an old story the older preachers used to tell, and it's kind of stayed with me, but back in the days when the, I guess the state fairs are still big. I know we run into one on the way back from Minnesota one year in, in Illinois. The state fair was still big there. But back in the days when state fairs and county fairs were pretty big and they would have these competitions among the hogs. And there was a champion hog. And he came out on, on the, um, where they show the hogs and, and it was obvious that this hog had been well cared for and the people knew what they were doing. This particular hog had won prizes and other competitions as well. But also there was a young boy who would lead this prize winning hog out, of, out into the show area. And there was something about this boy. He was um, very disrespectful to those around him and he used uh, foul language. The irony there is that both the hog and the boy belonged to the same man. The man who owned the boy and the hog had done very well at presenting and caring for his prize hogs. But when you look at the man's son, at least at that point he was failing in his duties as a, as a father. And so we see secondly here concerning Simon of Cyrene, that he had a family who obeyed the gospel. We remember what Joshua says in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's what dad needs to, to be about, and you know this very well. Third idea about Simon of Cyrene is that Simon had a family who helped further the gospel cause. You see this here in Romans 16, 13. He had a family that helped further the gospel cause. Now Paul is speaking to, to Rufus, his son, and then Rufus' mom. And Paul identifies with Rufus, at least with the age of Rufus here, because he says Rufus's mom has become a mom to me as well. So it could very well be that by the time Paul writes this letter to the Romans that, that Simon has, has passed away. It's not, we don't know that. But Paul is aged somewhat when he writes to the Romans. He identifies with the age of Rufus because he says Rufus's mother has become uh, my mom. So it could be that, that Simon has uh, passed away by this time, but nonetheless, we see that this is a home that helped propel the gospel. Okay. For one thing, Paul 
highlights these folks. He says, greet these brethren because uh, they've been helpful in the work. And one of those is Rufus and, and his mother. Okay. Of course, this is automatic. If, if one has been converted to Christ, truly converted to Christ, it's an automatic situation. Of course, you're going to take the Great Commission to heart. Of course, you're going to help propel the gospel because that's just who you are. And that's who Rufus and his mother was at this time as well. But notice in particular here that Paul says, she has become a mother to me as well. You know, this was predicted by Jesus. Matthew 10, 36. He says, it could be in following me that some of your foes will come from your own household. And most likely that happened with Paul in some respects because in his conversion to Christ, he was, he was leaving a deep heritage in the Jewish religion. And he says in Philippians 3 that he gave up everything in order to follow Christ. He suffered the loss of all things. And probably some of that was his, only fa his own family relationships. But Paul found support in the mother of Rufus here, the wife of Simon. And how valuable this was to Paul. One of the great ways of helping the gospel is to help those who are trying to spread the gospel here and there. And that's what Rufus and his mother was able to do. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10 right quick and, and notice again Jesus talking about this very idea. In Mark 10, he's talking about those who give up all to follow him. Beginning in verse 29 of Mark uh, 10, he says, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's sake, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecution and in the age to come eternal life. What are you going to receive when you truly follow Jesus? You're going to receive all the support you need. You're going to receive what you need to do your work and then when your time comes, then you will receive eternal life. This is what Paul is experiencing. Rufus's mother has become a mother figure to Paul, and you know there is absolutely no way of repaying that. There's no way, of, and this is somewhat of what Paul is saying, hidden behind these words here in Romans 16, 13. He's basically saying there's no way I could ever repay that, but how grateful I truly am that there have been so many who have in dark times been an underpinning of support. And Paul is trying to express how very valuable that is and has been uh, to him. And so notice here that Simon has a family that recognizes him as father who obeyed the gospel and also helped to propel the gospel uh, forward. But we come back to this. Simon had a family who were impacted by the cross 
of Jesus. There's no doubt about this. They were hugely, it had to be. Going back to Mark 15, 21, and there are parallel, parallels in Matthew 27, Luke 23 as well in this story. But going back to Mark 15, 21, you see Simon enters the picture, not on purpose. He has come in from the country. He is, he's just a passerby. He, he is compelled by the authorities to help Jesus bear the cross. Where's Jesus going? He is bearing his cross out to the hill Golgotha. He's going out to Calvary, just outside the city. Let's ask ourselves a couple of questions. What is it that Simon would have seen on that day. What would he be seeing? Simon would be seeing a lot of blood. Because if you look at Mark 15, 15, before they sent Jesus to the hill, they scourged him. They scourged him. I don't know why they did this, just the cruelty they did. The scourging come from a, a whip. It's a whipping. It's a leather whip. At the end of the leather whip, leather whip, it was split into three different ways. Embedded at the end of the whip were pieces of metal, pieces of bone, and pieces of rock. And the scourging wasn't done until they had torn the skin away from the muscle and then the muscle away from the bone. And so this is the condition of Jesus as he is condemned to the cross, is he's been scourged. He's been scourged. And that would leave him a very bloody spectacle. This is what Simon saw. Okay. On top of that, Mark 15, 17, they have now placed upon Jesus the crown of thorns. So from head to toe, it is a body moving that's just covered with blood. This is what Simon saw. You don't, think he, you don't think he mentioned this to his family? Don't we know that once he got back home, he would have certainly shared this with his family, what he saw, what he saw. What else did Simon see? According to Luke's account, he saw a multitude of of people, especially women, and they're following Jesus. Okay. Jesus being condemned to death right in the midst of a lot of folks who respected him. That's what Simon saw. Simon also saw, according to Luke's account, two other criminals being led with their crosses. Simon is being impacted by the cross in a very real way. Not only do we ask, what did he see? What did he, what did he hear? What was Simon here as he's being compelled to bear the cross? Well, according to Luke's account, Luke 23, 27, he would hear the women wailing, crying, and mourning. That's, the, that's what he would have been hearing. And then he would hear, how did Jesus manage this? I don't know. But then after the wailing in the morning, somewhere in the midst of that, 
he would hear Jesus say, Weep not for me, but weep for yourselves. Don't get hung up on what's happened to me. This must happen to me, but if you and your family does not start following the Lord, then you'll need to weep for yourselves. That's what Simon would be hearing. And then think about this. What would he feel, physically feel? Have you ever touched a cross? You ever t- I don't know what that would have been. A wooden beam? But Simon was compelled to get right under there with Jesus and he'd help bear that load, the weight of the cross. He, he, he was able to feel the weight of that cross. Don't tell me he didn't go home after that day and share his experiences. And, and surely that would have caused him to search the scriptures even more. Maybe jumping back to Isaiah 53 and, and all the prophecies, perhaps he would start then connecting the prophecies and what he saw that day to what he had heard about Jesus or seen about Jesus before that. And he put it all together. Indeed, he had a family that was impacted by the cross. This is where it begins. This is where it begins. If, if mom and dad cannot bring to reality the necessity of the cross, then, then we have failed with our kids. We must bring the suffering of Jesus and the glorious resurrection right in front of our children. And when we do that, then we have a great, great uh, beginning. Simon was an involuntary witness, wasn't he? He did not plan that day to be bearing any cross. He was a passerby. But I'm sure later on, he must have been very thankful to have been where he was at on that day. He was a witness he was a witness to the sufferings of Jesus and to the very death of Jesus. Did Jesus actually die? Simon's a witness. Was Jesus actually buried? Well, Joseph of Arimathea is a witness. Was the tomb found empty? Absolutely. Where's the body of Jesus today? Did Jesus appear after his resurrection to several brethren? Absolutely he did. Simon was one of these crucial witnesses. So he had a family. They recognized him as dad. They obeyed the gospel. They, pro- they propelled the gospel forward in their own way. But mainly they were impacted by the cross. And we would do well to learn about family, learn about fatherhood from these kinds of accounts in Scripture. We're thankful to be together in worship today. We're going to have the opportunity here in just a moment to think more about our Lord and His, His death in our behalf. Right now, though, this is a time we set apart to examine ourselves. And we will be examining ourselves when we partake the Lord's Supper. All of us should. But right now is another opportunity. And it just might be that you've been intending to be the dad that you really wouldn't want to be. You know that God wants you to be. You just hadn't gotten around to it, and maybe today is a new beginning for you. It might be that you've been thinking about 
obeying the gospel, much like Simon and his family uh, did. We invite you. We invite you home to the Lord right now as we stand together and as we sing. Brother Ben.